Uh, yeah, the first item on the agenda is, are the two sets of minutes uh, from both May 3rd and June 13th. So hopefully you've had an opportunity to take a look at those. Very good. Good comments. There's a motion. Motion to accept uh, May 3rd, was it? Yeah. And June 13th. Second. Run them together. Okay. Sure. Make a motion to accept both. Why don't we do them together? Motion has been so, made and second it. All in favor, please. Um, we'll go roll call here just to um, be above reproach. Um, Bruce? Aye. Tom? Aye. Mickey? Aye. Mike? Aye. And I say also aye. So that's unanimous. Thank you. Great. All right, uh, we have Betsy here, and she's going to talk about a proposed reconfiguration of the displays. So I'll turn it over to Betsy. Hello. Hi. I am going to share my screen and go through a little bit of a um, PowerPoint. And if anybody has any questions at each slide, please feel free. Okay. Let's see. Here we go. Does everybody see this? Yes. Yep. Very good. Yes. Uh, here we go. Um, what we have now is in Copper Mill Hall, we really have two exhibits on at the same time. And sometimes we're hiding one to show the other and vice versa. In the meantime, we've acquired the barn, which remains empty with uh, three floors. So how can we maximize the use of this space to utilize all of these exhibits to their maximum. So I've come up with this proposal after meeting with a couple of members of the board with um, Joyce um, and a few other volunteers to go over some different proposals and solutions. The proposal is to move the core exhibit. Um, I when I refer to the core exhibit, I'm referring to the one, the uh, revolutionary um, way. Uh, that John Walsh worked on um, with the commission. And I would like to move that to the barn for permanent display until such time as the museum opens. And I'd also like to open the barn on that lower level, uh, certain designated hours, I think probably on a Saturday after talking with Dan Myers and have it uh, staffed by a volunteer and have that full exhibit out for display, which sometimes we hide because we're trying to show some special exhibits and it's pretty good. So I would like to show the uh, ghost box and uh, which takes up a babe and it's been a problem for both the restaurant and um, the uh, education and exhibits committee um, because it's so big and dominating, um, but we would love to show it and we'd like to have it open for, for people to see. Um, we would like to keep the movable display cases that house special exhibits in Copper Mill Hall. We would also like to create two bays in Copper Mill Hall that are flexible display storage functions. Right now, occasionally, the restaurant would like to have all of the bays just open and free. Sometimes we would too. We, we don't have a full uh, special exhibit, we would just like to maybe put three display cases in the middle of the room and move them to the side sometimes. 
Um, and we could have two bays up near the restroom and where the video equipment is stored. And we could create some sort of flexible display storage area where at times when we only wanted three cases and four put into those storage. Storage has been a major issue for both the restaurant and ourselves. Um, we need to set up an office for volunteers and employees in the barn. We've almost finished with that. I wanted to show you that because it was part of the phasing in and the usage of the barn. And we wanna maximize storage. Uh, we have storage issues. Um, with some of the display cases, they have shelving underneath and we had uh, volunteers come in and paint and make up backing and we've increased the storage in Copper Mill Hall just by doing that by 38 square feet. Getting a lot of the little stuff off the floor and it's organized so we know where things are and we're no longer tripping over tables and chairs, et cetera, that are stored in that relatively small space, which is awkward. We uh, frequently hit our heads on top of that stuff. Um, we're trying to maximize storage in the barn. We received um, a number of uh, donations, bookshelves from, uh, from Steve, one of our board members from the schools, sent us over a couple. And that has increased the amount of storage space. So things just aren't thrown all over the floors. Uh, Pam Diagostino has just offered us another uh, uh, bookshelf. And if anybody listening to this has any furnishings they would like to consider donating, uh, we'd be more than willing to listen. We do have uh, a Kramer jewelry display case over at uh, Pequot side, which we'd like to bring over and fill with swag and sell from the barn when we have some open time there. Are there any questions about the proposal? Or would you like me to go through first? Why don't you go through it? Um, okay. What are the goals? And don't be alarmed at this slide. The rest of the slide are, uh, are, are pictures. But this is something that will impact many different operations at the museum. One of the things we wanna make sure is it's flexible. Uh, we're providing flexible, attractive space and furnishings to allow maximum use, events, varied programming, and rentals. And I want to use all of the displays that we have. They're pretty good, as I said, and still leave us with some freedom to create and get uh, repeat visitors who want to see a different exhibit. We want to provide space for displays and allow for experimentation. Sometimes we put up something, we say it doesn't work. That's fine. That's what this wonderful period of time provides us with. We can double the size of the exhibition space and we can have open hours in the barn. I have to provide acceptable areas for the volunteers who are giving us 30 hours a week at times um, with the tools they need and meeting spaces. Uh, I wanna maximize storage areas. And this has been a problem um, from the very beginning. Um, particularly in conflicts with the restaurant. Um, we wanna to demonstrate to professional approaches of planning, implementation, and knowledge of museum operations to prospective donors as evidenced by the presence of sophisticated technology, marketing apparatus, and exhibit design. And this is where uh, Steve from marketing and has given me um, some things that, that he thinks is important. We have, uh, we'll be purchasing collection software. We will have a sophisticated Adobe software uh, at a computer at an office site. When people enter the barn, they will no longer see empty spaces. Um, we wanna provide space that is eligible for student interns. 
Uh, you have to have a designated space and tools to get student interns. It's you just don't say I would like a student intern at a college and they send you somebody. They will act. You actually have to fill out very complicated forms. Joyce is very familiar with this, and I've also checked into other student interns. And development, marketing, and um, education would all like to tap into this market. We've got to have dedicated space. We want to reduce volunteer time on exhibit planning. That I think this will do creating more time for other necessary work that we put off in terms of administration. Uh, demonstrate a professional approach to museum operations to prospective donors as evidenced, oh, I, I repeat that, I apologize, uh, to create immediate practical use of the buildings, to demonstrate commitment to stakeholders who desire immediate return on their investment. I do not think it's a wise idea to leave this barn empty for four or five years. Create a space for developed marketing at Copper Mill Hall. And we have do have some a potential there for donated uh, furnishings. I'm talking to somebody to set up one of the bays uh, with some comfortable seating. Dan has told me that people who visit there love these sitting areas. Um, I talked to Dan about what he thought were successful exhibits. Um, and he met, did mention that people do like to sit. And we could put some promotional materials up there. And I'm talking to Steve and I will talk to Kylie about what they think would be good up there. And we can create a small shop to sell our swag in the barn on the lower level. So those are all the goals and you can see they impact various levels of operations of the museum. Questions? Okay. Is that the full? I have some, but I can save it for the end. Okay. Um, this is Copper Mill Hall. One of the questions I got from Vic was, well, do we know people are going up there? How do we know? And that's a good question because that's a question people ask on our grants too. Um, and we do have some evidence. We have evidence of personal observations of people who work up there. Um, if I'm working there for two hours, I might see six or seven people during opening hours. You say, well, that's not many. But if you look at the hours that the museum is open and you multiply it times six to seven, you might have 50 people on that floor um, during a week. We did put up some interactive exhibits to experiment. The map here is a map of the world and we've asked various um, visitors if they've served overseas or a loved one overseas to place a flag where they're served. Uh, and Dan has also told us this is an extremely popular interactive exhibit. If people don't actually place the flag, there's a lot of conversations going on around it. So it's, a, it's an exhibit that, um, and it demonstrates our mission, it encourages conversation. There are over 200 flags on this, indicating in the past three months, at least 200 visitors. And you can multiply that out, maybe you get 1,000 visitors a year, maybe. And also we have a speak out board where people can put their opinions um, what do you think the United States should do um, with regard to the Ukraine? Combining a history in our Canton and wartime exhibit with current events. And you can see the number of votes that people have put on this board. We also have evidence that people are up there with the visitor log that has been um, a lot of signatures, as well as a donation box. We've got $200 in the past two months. Again, multiply that out. And you know, it's a nice little sum that helps us pay for day-to-day -day kind of operations. Uh, and also our personal experience. So there are five different data collection points. Um, 
Here's the changes proposed at Copper Mill Hall. We would like to remove the core exhibit and place it in the barn, including the Reebok and the ghost box. Those are two big exhibits that we sometimes have to hide. If we're working with a theme or there is an event or something's going on. We also wanna create flexible storage and display space in two bays. Uh, we met, we talked, I talked about this with Dan and we, we don't wanna do anything that's not attractive. This might be phase four of a four phased implementation so that we can test things out, see how things work, analyze, get some feedback. Uh, it is easier to share space with the restaurant and they are very, uh, they really like this idea. The goal is to have flexibility compatible with the missions and goals of the museum. We do wanna create a developed marketing bay. The bays we would use, we think, if we did a flexible storage, there are times we may just wanna put three of these cabinets out. There are times we may wanna have one in each bay. There may be times when we want three here. It just gives us enormous flexibility. All of these pieces can float. These pieces here of the core exhibit, the design does not work. We need four people to move them. We had to call John back because two of them would not move. They were, they're supposed to be flexible and move from an active to a passive state. Um, the restaurant does not like to move them at all because they're fearful that they will break. And as you can see, they're pretty, they're, they're, they're nice. Um, and we wanna maximize their usage. It just doesn't seem to work with what we're discovering the usage of Copper Mill Hall will be, or we think will be. We're still analyzing that. What will we do in the barn? Well, let's do the easy stuff first. We've got some of these cases in here. Each, each shelf is another square footage of storage. They got these from the schools for free. Uh, file cabinets and book, uh, bookshelves. We're gonna move the core exhibit to the barn hopefully putting two to the second floor, two displays and four to the lowest floor, plus the ghost box. We'd like to create an attractive entrance that reflects the museum mission. We'd like the third floor to remain empty. It's gorgeous. I don't know if people have been up there. It's been a successful rental place. Again, we like this idea of flexibility. And the second floor, only two small displays that are movable because they're smaller. They're only about 42 and 48 inches. Um, and, and they're lightweight and we only need two people to move them. Um, and the lower entrance, we would look at the redesign. Um, those are general. Specifically, now when you walk in, it's not empty. This is a, a, a work of art created by Dan Mills who just had his own personal show at the library filled with all his works. He's quite a fine Canton artist and he donated this to us. We're making a nice comfortable area for our volunteers and employees to work in. So Sorry, many volunteers- I can't control your music here. We, um, I want our volunteers who dedicated to this to have a comfortable workspace, to have a dedicated work area that shows that we respect their abilities. The software will be here and we have a centralized filing system um, that now we can put our gift loans and rental agreements, things that I shouldn't be keeping, frankly, in my home. Um, and we'll have a centralized meeting place. And I'd like to use it even as an address. And this would be open, um, I would hope, on Saturdays to greet people as they come in. Eventually, we could even charge people 
and we could have programming in the first floor of the barn as well. This is how, what people currently come in when they rent the space. This is the basement. You can see it's not too inviting. Uh, and then the, we don't think this is as rentable, although you could rent all three floors. We can work out a rental agreement and charge by the floor. Um, but this has no bathroom. So we suspect that this would be an entrance and people would rent on the second and the third floors, which would be basically open. These are this beautiful copper that many of us love. We also love the map. This is the reason these things tip. They tip over if you try to move. Uh, in fact, we did have one volunteer who pulled his back and um, was not, <laughs> I said, don't worry, I will do it. Um, but to take the, this off, these become mobile. So we can, and we can separate the spine from this panel and from the table. What this provides us is mobility because this piece is too tall to move around the barn. You hit these pipes. So if we disengage the copper from this and we keep the, the, the panel attached to the table, the table then becomes movable around the floor. And we can put it in multiple designs. We can have a nice center open for programming. And we already have a uh, uh, elementary school teacher who's just retired who was thinking of some summer programs. One of the ideas Joyce came up with, maybe Joyce would speak later to it, is we could take the copper and actually put it on this wall so that when you walk in, you're struck with a solid piece of copper that's in the shape of a sail. Uh, uh, symbolizing the constitution. And you're, the visitor is reflected in the piece. You see these reflections, so it's kind of cool. And we could keep the tables right next to it. We can move them around. This is another sample and another example of us hiding something that I don't want to hide. It's not necessary. We have the space. Here is the map. And what uh, Joyce and I were hoping to do, we're not sure, is somehow separating the map from the copper. Many of you know, this is quite a large map. We could put the entire map of Canton on this wall. So you would walk into this space, which is now barren, used for storage, and it would be very inviting and be reflective of the, the museum and its mission and re be a real preview room. Have the map of Canton here, have the, the, the uh, copper on the other wall, and the series of display tables throughout here, which I say would be movable depending upon the function. Flexibility being key. The ghost box and Reebok would be moved over here, would be Reebok, we think. Again, you know, once we get it over there, we can move things around. And the ghost box here, and it would always be in use whenever anybody wanted it. They're now mobile. Uh, the Reebok case would be mobile, of course but they, they do have that uh, wall mounting and that can go here. This is the second floor. Um, we were talking with a lot of people, they felt the second floor, they wanted it rentable for events. It's been successfully rented twice. They like the open space and the flexibility. These, this is one sample of one of our core exhibits display cases. We can put two on the second floor. I think this would look beautiful on this wall on this wall, and you would look out and see the pond from this window 
tying again our goal, tying the exterior to the interior and reminding any people at the event that this is indeed going to be a museum and look what we're planning to do. So it's a bit of a marketing thing as well as educational. That is um, the end. So I'm sure you, there are questions or comments and I would be glad to, um, I'm gonna stop sharing and listen. Should I go, Vic? Sure. All right. I was really excited um, when this started until it evolved to separating the copper from the tables. And then I felt like my heart was being gutted. <laughs> the, the principal core of the idea, the revolutionary idea was the copper sale. And the entire exhibit was built as a cohesive whole around the one idea. So splitting it up, you lose some of the artistic value that was brought to the exhibit the way it was originally designed. Um, but that was not where I was going to start. Um, I was actually curious about when, what the timing is for the barn to open. Well, I mean, that depends on a number of things, uh, funding for the design being the first, and then of course, funding for the construction. Uh, we, and I'll talk about the um, RFQ, but I think our, our, Hope is a 2025, but it could be 2026. But it again depends. We're making strides in terms of our grant um, <clears throat> funding process, but there's a it's a pretty big lift. The master plan consultants identified a five million dollar um, target, a million dollars for design, four million dollars for construction. So it isn't going to happen immediately. Is there available space that would be used sooner rather than later to bring people in? Available. Meaning like, could the vestibule open to house, um, you know, interim displays, that kind of thing? Could the barn be used for that purpose? Right. Oh, absolutely. In fact, as Betsy mentioned, we've had at least two um, just general uses, I mean, rental or community space uses. <laughs> and uh, those have been recent last five, six weeks. Um, we hope to have um, um, temporary exhibits from those who visit, uh, but we haven't gone that far in the process. No one's actually sought to do that. Okay. Private parties. We had, you know, the, the, the uh, new police chief had an event there and um, the town democratic committee had a pretty uh, nice event there recently. I don't think the school leadership, I think the school leadership had an event on the, um, in the Copper Mill Hall. They rented that for what three days, Kristen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, three days, yeah. And the um, I think they were open to both the barn and Copper Mill Hall, but at that time we did not have Wi-Fi in the barn, so that was <laughs> that was the clinching factor that and that put them in Copper Mill. Um, thank you for that clarification. Um, thinking about the space, I remember being in there in December. And it was was definitely cluttered because some part of the exhibit was turned around that you couldn't see the trunk, the train exhibit had been partially moved in. Um, so I absolutely get the sense of friction between having these competing interests in the same space and that that's not working for the restaurant or the board here. Um, and 
I absolutely understand the difficulty with the active and passive state. And when we were implementing, we talked about this probably being the last time or potentially being the last time it was an active state um, because we knew that it was likely to move to passive and live there because it works in passive state. You still get the sense of the exhibit, but you can actually use the room. Um, I think, you know, my sense is that part of the challenge is that you've had a full exhibit in the space and then added additional exhibits. And that was not exactly how this was designed to use. You know what I mean? So this was designed to be the exhibit and then to have events in the space. So we thought the wall would be used, that you know there would be food and functions and that kind of stuff. Um, so again, I get why there would be some friction with that. I was wondering if the scenario had if had been considered leaving that fully vetted exhibit in the passive state in the copper mill hall and then putting new stuff in the barn because that's a reason for people to walk over there and find out what's going on uh, can i can i speak um i get what you're saying nikki because i was involved in that initial stage and one of the things that always wowed me was the sale and in the passive state you don't get the sale you don't find that sense of that overwhelming sale if we did move to the bottom floor of the barn, which is proposed in the new proposal to sort of house like the history, I'm going to call it the history of Paul Revere, you know, um, with that copper in the back wall, you get the sense of the slope, the arc, all the pieces. If, I, if I'm remembering correct, Betsy, correct me, all four pieces would go together and make that beautiful arc. No, I, th I think Joyce, we were thinking about moving two upstairs and two, the big pieces, mm -hmm. the two big pieces, and it's quite an arc and it's nice. And you're, and you're correct. You would see that sale uh, and we could even uh, label up, explain what was the intent of the design. And the tables can actually, because now they're movable, can be pushed right up next to the, to the copper as though they're attached. You would never know they're not attached or they are attached. They would actually be more in line with the passive state if you wanted to. That's the beauty of the flexibility. Then at other times, if you wanted the table separated and have a different design, you would be able to move them. Currently right now with the, with the spine on, they're brutal to move. It can be done. Even the marathon movers though could not move one of them. They had to be picked up and put on furniture moving moved um and i'm i and then i'm worried about volunteers this thing can topple we did have john come back and he didn't call it a defective design but he said look what you were asking me to do it can't be done and he also said that the floor was uneven and that was the reason why there was drag but i'm telling you i've been up there moving these things myself mm, absolutely i, I totally hear you that they're hard to move point of clarification I was wondering if the toppling, because that's definitely concerning, was that while it was being moved or that was when it was in a fixed state? No, no, no. That was while it was being moved. Okay. And we did catch it. Good. <laughs> and you know, it's got good stuff in there. I mean, it's not it's beautiful. And, 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 and I think that we can showcase it better in the barn. And, and um, Nicole, you asked, did we consider putting the cases in and putting leaving the original, I call it the core exhibit, 
uh, in Cogamil right. Hall. And we did consider that because we're desiring a flexible space up there. That's uh, for the restaurant and for ourselves. Um, and the, that we expect some foot, as I say, foot traffic up there. The other question was, should we just remove everything from there? Which we, we decided was not a good idea. Um, so we really did think about the, the different alternatives and which functioned the best in which space. That's the ultimate thing. And how can we best showcase um, the work that we've done? Bruce, I thought I saw you move. Did you want to say something? I was just going to say that I think that um, in moving the exhibits, the core exhibit into the first floor of the barn, I think it will be um, more cohesive. Uh, even if the two, we move <clears throat> two upstairs. We, I don't know, we haven't seen, I mean, we've met Betsy and I've measured everything, but I don't know if moving, you know, we could perhaps keep the whole exhibit downstairs. I'm not sure, but when we have programming with children, we, we can still have room for tables and we can tie to the content um, probably more effectively of what we've already done in the research that you know, clearly uh, was put into uh, the different bays. Um, I think that keeping the integrity of the initial design and exhibit was very important for me. And never seeing it again in the active state, you don't get that sense of the sale ever. And that was part of what was driving, driving us. So for me, I felt like it was a win-win when I saw, you know, when we started looking and measuring. And then you walk right in and the first thing you see is that big copper sale. So I don't know how anybody else feels. I don't know, does anybody have any other questions? Um, I guess my question that uh, I had as I listened to the conversation was <laughs> the explanation that we asked him to do something that couldn't be done, but he went and he tried to do it. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> you throw it back at the designer, you don't throw it back at the customer. Uh, I, but that's that's just based on a comment. Well, let me just address that, Bruce, if you will. You know, we hired a, a designer to propose how to do the second floor of the mill. Mm -hmm. And the designer had no wheels. <laughs> it was never going to be moved. And then once we were in production with the fabricator, we realized that won't work. Once we saw how big these things were, that mm -hmm. would have meant we needed four people at least to carry every one. And since the restaurant had the opportunity and the right to use that space on a shared basis, we couldn't ask them to devote four of their people and we would hope not damaging it. So we migrated to a wheeled solution, um, which was not what the original designer had proposed. So the fabricator did exactly as we asked, but okay. the design was not quite, you know, in keeping with our, our quote manpower uh, availability. It's not easy to do. All right, I was just, it was just a comment. You asked us to do something that can't be done. Um, time to say it was, can't be done at the beginning. But anyway, I understand now that it was a, it was our switch, not necessarily, you know, his. Uh, the other thing I get, I guess I'm just catching up a little bit. Is there a marketing plan 
Is the is the trust put together a marketing plan yet? Um, they're working on a capital plan right now, um, and uh, we now have a marketing director, uh, uh, Kylie Nichols. So yes, we're beginning to do that. Um, they we're going to start a corporate campaign. We haven't done that, but if you were to look at the our ability to market with various grant organizations, we've done very well, including the legislature. What we haven't done yet is to market to the corporate world, and that's the next step. I'm kind of thinking about the market to the people, <coughs> market to the, to the customer, to the user who's going to come here uh, two, three, four years from now, uh, and you know, what we're about to present to, you know, to that customer and a variety of customers, whether it's the local person or it's a regional thing or it's a school or it's a uh, a, a group coming in or individuals coming off of 95 um, as to, you know, what's our product going to be? Well, in terms of that, yes, we have started that marketing because we've had school groups over there uh, more than once. And as you recall, our initial thinking was we were going to market the outdoor space. That's what we're going to market because we can do that initially in a, in a huge way. And yes, we've done that very successfully as evidenced by the Heritage Day. Um, but as far as marketing the interior of the barn, I think what Betsy is suggesting is a way to put some things in the barn so we have something to market there. I mean, when I first heard this, I, I thought, well, this is, a, this is awfully soon since we just implemented the <clears throat> design and you all worked so hard on it on the second floor. On the other hand, the more I thought about it, um, given that we also have temporary exhibits on the, on the second floor, they were in conflict. And unless you can somehow manipulate them in a way that works in that space, it, it doesn't allow for both to be shown. <clears throat> but more importantly, um, if, if given the second floor of the mill and the barn, at this point in our uh, early um, childhood, if you will, we need to promote the barn. I mean, that was always the idea. The preview room was a preview to promote the barn. And if we need to now segue into the barn with some of the stuff, I mean, it's not a terrible treatment as we anticipated that at some point, maybe not this quickly, but that we would start maybe moving some of it over there or putting other things in there. But, but we need to promote, I'm in there regularly, Betsy probably more than I, but I'm there regularly and we need some things in there. Okay, um, one more last question. Uh, it has to do with this and, and I think everything else. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the um, the long lost film um, that was that's being created somewhere that's still in the creation I guess they moved it from black and white to color just the other day. But, <laughs> um, George is going to be here tonight, so he could tell us about that. Yeah, that eager to hear it. Mill production. Eager to hear it, I, but let's assume that it comes to fruition. Uh, what are the plans for that? <clears throat> Uh, aspect of. In, I don't in, think we, I don't in, know, Betsy, maybe you could say. In the proposal I wrote, I left it up in the air, but I did note we are awaiting the film. We've been waiting for the film for a couple of years now. Um, and we have to make decisions based upon what I have. Um, I, I don't know where, frankly, Bruce, I would put it either in the barn or Copper Mill Hall. Um, it would be fairly flexible. It doesn't take enough a lot of space up and we could put it in that area that we were thinking of with development in one of the bays in copper mill hall 
If we find we're marketing in the barn more, however, in practice, this is where you know you test things out and you practice and you get some data. If we find out we're really successfully renting out that barn, which a lot of people have enthusiastically embraced, maybe it makes sense to move it over there. And here's another possibility. Maybe you put it in both. Why couldn't we put it in both? We, it's, we kind of think too much in one or the other. And I'd like us to move to a range of thinking that says, it's a, by the way, I've seen it. It's not finished and it's really cool. It is very good. Um, I wouldn't mind putting it in both. One thing we do need to work out though, Bruce, as you know, is we need to activate it. And that part I haven't yet heard a conclusion toward. It, it's words, not under my, it's not under my um, jurisdiction, by the way. No, I've been no, waiting for it. No, no, I understand. I'm saying um, if it's self-activating and the second floor of the mill, that's great because we won't have anybody there. Right. Unless they're going to push a button and know how to turn it on and off. Whereas if we have somebody, they can't get in the barn unless we have somebody there. So they can turn the thing on when there's someone on the lower level, the first floor that I call uh, the first floor of the, of the barn. So that may be an advantage, but you know, we can buy two monitors. They're not that expensive. We could have it in both. You know, I understand. No, I, I just wanted to know what, you know, where we were with that um, relative to this new plan and advance of it. So thank you. Uh, and it could be in both places. Uh, but I think that, you know, the, the piece itself, um, the way it was designed, is to create enthusiasm for uh, what's going to be in the future, and you know, the, you know, the place. If you know, in in nine minutes, you can learn everything you can you need to learn uh, with what I've seen of this of, of the film and watched it being made. Uh, with you know, thirty minutes of your reading uh, panels, uh, and so therefore, you know, that has. If, if you want to create enthusiasm for the place, you've got, uh, you know, people, you've got gerbils uh, on treadmills here. Uh, they have, that's, that's their attention span. And the thing is that you have to get them quickly and you have to get them succinctly and you have to get them fully so that they understand when they walk away from that film, whether they walk away after five minutes or seven minutes or nine minutes, that they understand what's happening here. And so therefore that's, that's the thing that I'm looking at right now and saying, okay, nothing happens until someone sells something, right? And so therefore, if you go by that script, you understand that you've got to get out there and sell people something. There's nothing gonna happen unless someone sells something. So that's, you know, that's what my vision is as far as, that's what my vision was for the part, for the, for the film at the beginning. Um, so anyway, I'm eager to, where that lands. And I know we have a number of other items, so I want to move on, but I do yep, want to- Go ahead, sorry, I'm sorry I took up any time. Oh, not you. I'm just saying, um, the one thing we might want to think about is the, uh, the second floor is a much better, we don't have an audio video set up in the barn. I don't know when that's going to happen, but we're not there yet. Um, but the, the second floor is a very sophisticated one. We might want to use that system for the, for the movie as opposed to a monitor. Because there's going to be less up there if we make yep. these, these changes. So you yep. go up there, at least you can, when you're up there, if there's some way to turn it on, that's what we need to figure out. Um, you know, you can see it on the big screen because there's less to see up there anyway. 
I mean, there right. would be less to see up there. So it's something to think about, but I agree with you. Um, uh, I, I've been wondering also where the film is and uh, I really do look for it. And we have seen the earlier, I didn't see the whole thing. I think Bruce, you saw what I saw. It was well done, but it's not done yet, so. I think George is waiting for the, he's gonna do the drone flyover, which is gonna be the intro. And I guess that's, that's the chink in the armor at this particular point. Hey, they got it in color. That's. Yeah, in color, yeah. All right, thank you, thank you. Mike has his hands up also. I, I can't see what. No, I know. Mike has had, had his hand up for a while, and then oh, I had something oh, else as well. Sorry, you're not, you're not on a, we can't see your face, so go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I'm very sorry about that. I'm, I'm not in a place that I can have my camera on here, but I absolutely agree with starting to use the barn um, in whatever manner is, is going to help make Copper Mill Hall more productive and easier to you know bring folks to and, and interact with um having people going into the barn and and seeing you know where we're working towards the next phase to me is the beginning of the selling um it just it, it's a natural progression um it lets us continue to tell the story you know the story isn't over at copper mill hall and out in the other seven acres and and everything else um the the ability to have as many exhibits as we have on display in one manner or another um the, the moving around of those things does not sound you know from my risk management days as a, a wise thing to be doing often if we can display that with the table so that it's, you know, most of what it's intended to be. The, just as Betsy was explaining, the, as we start to use this place, we're going to see what works and what doesn't. And I think the sooner that we can start to do that in the barn, we can understand, you know, what would be good in what places and what wouldn't be. And, you know, it, it, it's certainly a shame to be leaving any of that space if, if we're really struggling for that. Um, one other thing, um, this is kind of totally off the board, but my role on the Historical Commission has been approving, tearing down some places like the Bazan workshop and these other small structures that, you know, could be tremendous for storage and still you know, um, continue to tell the story of Canton's innovation and technology contributions. So, um, you know, maybe it's not just these two buildings that we have five years, 10 years from now. And to me, the more, more people we can get onto this site, the potential energy that we have released for you know Canton's historical assets is I think starting to be shown as very powerful, and and the more that we can leverage that, the the better we're going to be. Uh, I I definitely agree with starting to open the barn and and use it, you know, to our benefit in any way. Thanks. 
Thanks, Mike. All right, hearing nothing further right now. Um, I'm sorry, Nikki, you're you're muted. I was muted, yeah. Um, I just wanted to add um, just a couple more things. One was, you know, as one of the families that donated to sponsor this exhibit, it has been disappointing every time I bring my family up to see it and something's turned around. You know, like you can't actually see the full exhibit the way it was intended because of the conflict of show, trying to show dual exhibits. Um, I think it would be more exciting for the public to go to the new place and see new exhibits, not to go to the new place and see old exhibits. Like they go up to the Copper Mill Hall and why wouldn't we have something that would redirect them and tell them there's somewhere else they can go now? Um, I just feel like we're gonna lose the cohesiveness of the message that we asked all of these people to give their money to create. And now we're asking more people to give their money. I just, there needs to be some continuity between what we're telling people we're doing with their donations and their time and then what we actually do with it. So I still think that leaving it in a passive state as the only exhibit, moving the new exhibits to the new building would be a reasonable solution. It's designed to go with functions. It's not really designed to go with entire other exhibits. Thanks, That's Nikki. my two cents. Anything further? Okay, hearing none, I'd like to move on to the next order of business, which is the <clears throat> museum design, RFQ. Um, and this gets to actually populating the barn with the Master Plan Museum proposal. We have finished the RFQ, we're ahead of uh, schedule on this. <clears throat> we're actually ahead of funding in terms of the schedule. Um, but uh, as you know, the projection was that it would be a million dollars for design fees, 500,000 for the actual design, um, $300,000 for construction documentation, if you can believe that, and $200,000 for, for the uh, contract administration. <clears throat> so um, we are, I think, ready to launch a RFQ in the middle of September. We're going to give ourselves a little more time. <clears throat> um, uh, we need to adjust the dates that we have in the RFQ because we're getting a little faster out of the block. <clears throat> and um, it will encompass, as I've told the group before, design, um, documentation, and administration, but we will give ourselves the flexibility of not pulling the trigger in terms of uh, documentation and administration until we see whether we <clears throat> are satisfied with the designer. Um, and as I'll discuss later, we have adequate funds now that we've raised, despite the fact that we haven't uh, hit the corporate um, pocket yet, adequate funds to start the design process. Um, so we are going to do that within the matter of weeks. And I think that's all I have in the RFQ. Um, Tom and Tyler, why don't you talk to us about the maintenance plan? Sounds good. Thanks, Vic. Um, hi, everybody. So uh, Tyler and I have been chatting back and forth about how to sort of improve the maintenance of the grounds. Um, there's been some, I think, confusion a little bit, maybe that's the right word about who's responsible for what roles and responsibilities uh, when it comes to taking care of the grounds themselves. <clears throat> and um, so I'm, I'm presenting to you not as a member of the Conservation Commission today, but as a member of the general public, you know, interested citizen, um, you know, 
trying to see how we can manage um, the different roles and responsibilities uh, to make sure we've got a beautiful park in perpetuity. So what Tyler and I put together for uh, the benefit of this audience is a PowerPoint slide deck that gives you an overview of what we're thinking about doing. Uh, there's no ask of the committee um, tonight. It's just more of an awareness of what some of the ideas that we're, we've been floating around and welcome any feedback or thoughts on these ideas. And uh, Vic, if that makes sense, I can uh, share the screen and Tyler and I can kind of go through that. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, let me just pull this up real quick. And Tyler, if you don't mind just saying hi and seeing, I don't know if everybody's had a chance to meet you yet, but why don't you introduce yourself to the group, please? Yeah. Yep. Sorry, guys. My, my, I'm on my phone camera, so it's a little uh, shaky. So I'm going to keep the camera off. But um, yeah, I haven't, I've met some of you, haven't met all of you, but I'm Tyler Radicone, the Parks and Recreation Director. And kind of like what Tom has been saying, um, the idea really behind this is to try to get everyone in the town on the same page to, kind of understand what the the whole scheme of the maintenance uh, aspect down there. And because uh, there is a lot of confusion, um, not kind of from the, more so from the public, I think, uh, of just who kind of operates and does what. Um, so the idea, like Tom said, is to, to kind of put it all in one document. So that way, um, not only do the departments of the town understand, but also the public can kind of see this and understand who, who takes care of what. So um, with that, I'll let Tom kind of lead the way with the PowerPoint. Sounds good, thanks Tyler. Um, okay, so we've got uh, about 15 minutes, uh, maybe a little less now to go through this. So I'm gonna try to move fairly quickly through the slide deck. If folks don't mind holding their questions until the end, uh, and then we can take a Q&A at the end, that would be great. So what we're gonna try to cover tonight is the need and the goals. We've talked a little bit about the need, but not so much about the goals. Uh, the governance of, you know, how does the property itself, the landscape get managed? And there's, you'll see there's a lot of different parties that are involved. Uh, so just being, getting some clarity around the governance. Um, we've done some benchmarking analysis some different uh, maintenance and management plans of parks um, around Boston and, and elsewhere in Canton as well. So we've, we've got some baseline uh, for what the next bullet here is the elements of a maintenance plan. What do you actually include in a park maintenance plan? And then we've got a few suggested next steps and a sample of what this plan uh, could look like. If we have time, we'll probably run out of time, but there was a good one that came up um, that we'll just at least give you a highlight of. So that's the plan to cover uh, tonight. So need is, you know, obviously highly visible, high level of use, significant capital and OM investment, numerous stakeholders, some conflicting goals and priorities and uh, the changing needs of the property over time, uh, including how the, the trees and the, the plants and everything changes itself over time. So we wanna try to build in some flexibility on this as well. Goals uh, remain, you know, keep PRHC beautiful and well-managed park in perpetuity, as I said earlier, 
And then the landscape maintenance plan serves as a model for other Canton parks and open spaces. I've got my conservation hat on, conservation commissioner hat on now. There's some other parks in town that need uh, a little more clarity on the landscape maintenance plans as well. So we were thinking uh, Paul Revere Heritage Common could be an opportunity to develop a model for maintenance plans for other parks in town. Okay, so governance, here's a just quick kind of view of all the different parties that are involved with um, managing some aspect of the Paul Revere Heritage Common and then other parks around Canton. Um, you all are probably pretty familiar with this list. Won't spend a lot of time on this. Um, but I don't, I'm not aware of a single document that kind of summarizes the roles and responsibilities for each of these entities. And that could be one of the deliverables from this exercise, uh, depending on how folks think this should go. Um, <clears throat> the obligations, goals, and action items, <clears throat> excuse me, that list comes out of uh, Canton Master Plan and Open Space and Recreation Plan. There's some information in the Climate Change and Vulnerability and Resilience Assessment Plan. You know, it does abut the river. You know, there's you know, some flooding studies that um, have been captured in the Climate Change Vulnerability and Resilience Assessment Study. So I think there, there's some relevance there to consider as we think about how to manage the landscape. Um, <clears throat> what we're looking to do is clarify roles and responsibilities, memorialize the annual capital and O&M plan and the process for approving um, things that happen in the out uh, with the landscape. As some of you may recall, uh, there was a request earlier this year for one of the school projects to plant trees uh, on the property and there's no kind of you know, process, vetted process to uh, go through to help um, citizens, you know, uh, streamline their requests. Um, and then a way to prioritize work over time. Uh, as, as you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to manage a large property like that. So there's uh, a way to prioritize the work over time would be good. Okay, um, so just real quickly, the benchmarking analysis I mentioned, there's National Park Service model. Um, Massachusetts um, Department of Conservation and Recreation has a Pong and Pong master plan that's just been rolled out fairly recently. Canton's got its Earl Newhouse plan. Uh, the Arnold Arboretum has a landscape management plan. That's the one that we highlight in the appendix. And Pickwood Side management plan is being drafted now. Um, so there's definitely some good work out there that we can draw from to say, what does this plan look like? Why, what are the elements to it? And it does need to change from property to property. So it needs to be customized for, in this case, the Paul Revere Heritage Common, but there are common elements to the plan that, um, such as roles and responsibilities that, uh, can be fleshed out on a property by property basis. So um, this, I think, is the most important slide for you all to focus on for tonight's purposes. And that is, what, what are we talking about? You know, the elements of a maintenance plan. 
And this is kind of a, a hybrid conglomeration of all those different examples I just showed you, where you kind of take a profile and inventory of what is there. You know, what are the facilities, the parking, the historic archeological uh, uh, elements and the landscape itself. So you kind of create this inventory and uh, memorialize it in a document. Um, then you begin to think about the priorities and you look at all those other plans um, for Canton that we showed in two slides ago and lay it out and try to come up with a timeline and that matches how the property uh, we, as the leadership of the property, you know, we expect it to be used. And then you kind of rank it high, medium, and low. Um, the annual care plan itself, the real nuts and bolts, I think of what uh, gets Tyler's interest is this line and bullet. Who's doing the mowing? When? Uh, what about snow removal? Horticultural curatorial plan. You know, how did the plants and trees get managed over time? What happens with noxious weeds and invasives? Uh, who's managing those? How's that going? What's the timeline for that? Typically, it takes more than one treatment to manage um, invasive species. Pests and diseases. We noticed some stress in the trees this year. And uh, uh, Tyler brought in a specialist to take a look and try to do an assessment of why a number of the river birches were losing their leaves. Um, at this point, it looks like it's mostly uh, water stress, and that helps us uh, get to the irrigation and the pump house and the drainage. How is the, man the property being irrigated and how's that water being managed over time? Um, then the calendar and obviously assignments, and there's other things that fall into this category. And let me just pause and open the floor to Tyler. Tyler, would you like to add anything to this slide? Um, I, I, I mean, it's pretty, looking at it, it's pretty self-explanatory, um, I think, but I think my, my biggest concern so far, um, uh, I, I came on board in March, um, and I, my biggest concern is just the, um, kind of just the multiple hands that are involved, um, in the maintenance aspect of it all, and it, it kind of, um, it just gets a little confusing at points of who who does what, who is responsible for what, um, and you know the the the, the uh, park is so complex and it has so many different areas to it that um, you know this this what we're trying to develop I should say is really a almost like a master plan for the whole facility itself and that incorporates all the important elements that including maintenance and capital and you know I would like to even more so on top of the maintenance it can incorporate some of the things with the museum and the barn and issues like that so I think it's this is a start Tom and I are just trying to get some type of start that makes sense for everyone so um, everyone kind of like I said before gets on the same page so um, yeah that's I mean this this is like Tom said this is definitely the most important slide just to kind of get an idea of what we're actually truly trying to do. Okay. Um, thanks, Tyler. Just to wrap up um, real quickly, next steps. 
Uh, I think Victor suggested that we uh, present to you all, and then um, there's another meeting scheduled for the Revere and Sun Trust Committee. Um, we can. We were thinking of doing the same thing, depending on feedback from tonight, and then map out a governance structure and approval process of the document itself. Uh, try to identify short, medium, and long-range action items consistent with these governing documents, um, identify budget needs and potential funding sources with the action items, and then eventually present to the select board and other stakeholders for approval and sign off. Um, before I turn the floor back to you, Victor, uh, just showing you the appendix very quickly, this is the example from the Arnold Arboretum Landscape Management Plan. And they break down, as, as you probably know, you know, there's different things that need to be done in different times of year. And so it's helpful to try to design the maintenance plan around what needs to get done at what time of year. And then there's also the next slide shows you kind of um, a, a little deeper dive into, and you probably can't see that, sorry. Let me get that expanded. Um, just an example of how to manage uh, nox, nox, noxious weeds, you know, the invasive species, pets and uh, pests and diseases, and then the curatorial part of it, how do you manage the plants uh, over time. So hopefully I didn't go through that too quickly, but quick enough to give you a flavor of um, what we're thinking about doing. So Victor, back to you, please. Thanks, Tom. Um, I think this is a critical exercise because I honestly don't think the town has ever had an asset like this, at least not to my um, knowledge. One that incorporates, I think as Tyler just said, a number of different um, landscaping features. It's not simply open space. Uh, it's not simply a tree um, park area. It's not a playing field. Um, it's really a combination of a lot of landscaping um, trees, plants, flowers, grass, uh, and a wildflower um, uh, component with irrigation that's taken from uh, standing water from the, uh, a, uh, from the Army Corps of Engineers uh, drainage um, channel, which is also unique in Canton. So I think it's important that we have uh, a task force. And uh, if you'd like some of us to be on that, please let us know. Um, I also don't think you should forget the restaurant because they have responsibility under their lease with respect to maintaining um, the uh, uh, landscaping immediately around their property. They also have responsibility for plowing the parking lot, at least currently, and the walkway leading up to their parking lot. So up to the parking lot, I should say. So happy to participate, happy, I'm sure others would like to participate, but I think it's a critical exercise, so thank you. Any questions? Oh, sorry, I was just going to ask if folks had any other comments, but I know you're running behind. So, hearing nothing further, uh, let's go on the barn. I'm sorry, did some raise their hands? No. Yeah, I'm just saying that's a lot of work. Yep, it is. Um, facilities update. I have uh, five quick um, points. First, uh, the town hired a consultant. Uh, an architect and a mechanical engineer to review the barn and to ensure that everything's copacetic. Uh, I walked the site with the consultants as, uh, as well as with the developer. <clears throat> and we're setting up a meeting 
in the next couple of weeks with town folks, the developer and the consultants to go over the report, um, which didn't show anything um, significant, but there are, there's a punch list of small items that need, need to be addressed. So that's, I think that's good progress and we'll, um, we'll um, pursue that in the next few weeks. Um, secondly, <clears throat> the signs, I discussed them last time. As you recall, we're, we're breaking up our request for the two monument signs first, and then other signs, including as George described in great detail last, um, last meeting we had, a smaller entry monument <laughs> side at the parking area and then smaller building identification signs. But the monument signs are the two critical pieces and those are funded by, by town meeting um, with a uh, Community Preservation Act grant. So <clears throat> we, um, we have a consultant who's helping us on that, and we've now reached out to at least three vendors to get prices. And once we get those prices, uh, then we will go to the zoning board for approval. We've started the process of discussing with the zoning board the necessary approvals with respect to the location of the signs. And the town engineer, former town engineer, uh, um, Jay uh, Mello is now, uh, he's no longer with us, but. Uh, um, he's, uh, he completed a plan, so we have um, a schematic for uh, submittal to the ZBA. Next, the restrooms. <clears throat> that um, process is also uh, well underway. We have um, a site which is a little different from the original site. <clears throat> Once we um, discovered that there were implications associated with um, possibly bringing the conduit, the necessary utilities, over the culvert, the culvert is technically a waterway. It's under the uh, Conservation Commission jurisdiction. So even though the conduit, the utilities would not be on water or above water per se, because the culvert is a very thick concrete box, it still triggered that. And we decided to look more closely at moving the uh, connections. So we're moving it a little bit closer to <clears throat> Revolution Way. Um, we had a call with the, there's a consultant for that too. Um, the DPW, the building inspector, the town administrator, and representatives uh, on our side. Uh, and um, we are going to submit a request to the zoning board shortly. We're waiting for a, a new plan from the DPW, which would identify the uh, exact spot. <clears throat> and we have already issued an RFP, uh, and there have been eight, eight parties have gotten copies of the RFP and a number of responded. So there's interest in this and we hope to have it um, get our bid prices back within the next two, two and a half weeks. So that's well underway as well. <clears throat> Number four, we successfully negotiated an amendment to the uh, mill, um, second floor of the restaurant. We had discussions with them for the past eight months or so, and um, we executed the agreement, select board executed it, so it's all done. It basically clarifies responsibilities for the second floor, but it also memorializes that the town, when it um, schedules the space for its own use or for the use of any of its invitees, can provide its own food and soft beverages upstairs at any time that we use the facility. That was an important uh, component for, uh, for the town. It also um, gives us most favored nation status to the extent that we wish to use the facility and the um, restaurant uses its liquor license to provide alcoholic beverages. Um, we would be treated as, as they would treat any of their best customers. So 
there are other details in it, but those are two of the more important ones from our perspective. So that was a success, I'm glad to say. And I think that wraps up the uh, facilities uh, discussion. Um, any questions on that? Hearing none, uh, the last one on our agenda is the ARPA filings and grants. So this is where we have had success. Um, unlike as uh, Bruce and I would, I think, agree, um, we haven't yet really pursued the, um, the corporate world, but we have been pursuing the grant and legislative world pretty um, aggressively. So just to remind you, we have $200,000 earmarked from the legislation, from the legislature, excuse me, for our design. So that's 200K. We got the 200,000 from the Mass Cultural Council, that's 400,000. Betsy and Ron uh, Sigamelli have uh, graciously and generously offered to contribute $50,000 toward that. So that's 450. We have another legislative earmark that was captured in the recent uh, budget bill that was passed and it was signed by the governor. So that's 50,000 more. So that's 500,000. And we have $100,000 from rent revenue. Recall the whole purpose of having a restaurant was to provide revenues associated with the operation and capital um, projects of the, of the museum. So that means we have $600,000. So we have enough to start the RFQ as I explained earlier. And what's pending? Well, we have $400,000 in ARPA requests before Norfolk County. And I'm happy to say that two of the Norfolk County commissioners were at the heritage site at the barn on the second floor last week uh, at the Democratic Town Committee meeting because they happen to both be Democrats. I was there and we chatted about our soon to be filed request for the ARPA dollars. It's a complicated uh, initiative for a variety of reasons, which I won't go into now, but they're very well aware of it. And one of them made a point of saying how he looks forward to making the heritage site. He did have this in, in his elevator pitch, if you will. Uh, and I don't say that uh, dismissively. I just say that that's what the whole purpose of this meeting is. Candidates stand in front and explain why they um, uh, are an appropriate choice for, um, the, for the primary. And he made reference to the fact that uh, he looks forward to this uh, site being even better. And that was an allusion, I think, to the fact that we're submitting this request. So. By no means is this guaranteed, it's complicated, we may not get it, but at least they are aware of our, our request. And then finally, <clears throat> there was a $500,000 $500, earmark in the economic development bill at the legislature. It actually passed the House, that was included. However, as you've probably been following, there's a 1987 statute, uh, which was brought up by the governor at the last moment, and that statute uh, requires in certain instances when revenues exceed a certain amount in the state coffers that it be funneled back to um, rate to rate payers to uh, taxpayers. <clears throat> so that's being worked out. So the legislature put the whole economic development bill on hold, pending further discussion. They're in recess now, though. So that may mean that it waits till January, unless they come up with something in the interim. Something in the interim typically means that it's a unanimous uh, vote of each of the chambers because they don't have the authority, I don't think, to do so in, in the um, off season, if you will. But it's it's still in there, and uh, and we're looking forward to it. So you know we're doing pretty well on that front, and I'm hoping it continues. But we have enough now to, I think, uh, trigger our um, RFQ for the design, and that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> Any questions on that? Oh, I just want to mention one other thing. Um, our bogey declined, reduced, decreased by 750,000. So that $5 million bogey has gone down by 750,000. Why? 
because in the agreement that was struck with the Canton Holdings and the Select Board, there are various provisions and the agreement I'm talking about is the increase in the number of residential units there from for 70 more plus seven uh, affordables or moderate income uh, units. One of the, of a number of provisions is that Canton Holdings will construct the terrace that was specifically referenced in the master plan. And that terrace that they agreed to is a little bit bigger than the one referenced in the master plan. And that was a $600,000 construction item with $150,000 in design fees. That will be covered by Canton Holdings. Um, so that's gonna be done. So you can subtract that from the 5 million. So that's another way. So we're not doing it conventionally in terms of you know, getting it through corporate donors, but we're getting there in a lot of other ways. And there are other things associated with that. If, if, if you want, I could just quickly point out <clears throat> for those of you that are familiar, the true parcel next to the train station, um, they will clear out the, the land, create a parking area for 50 to 65 parking spaces to be used by the heritage site and the town in the event of events. The Eversource building, um, that's gonna get knocked down soon by Eversource. If, if we obtain the land, and as you may recall, a few years back town meeting uh, approved an appropriation for the purpose of uh, buying that land. So that has already been authorized. They will uh, design and implement a parking area for another up to 13 parking spaces. They will give $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars to improve parking along the Ponza Street. Because we need the parking, people are gonna park there anyway and they're doing so uh, at an increasing rate whenever we have an event. Um, they're gonna provide parking as part of this plan for the dog park. And the dog park uh, has now has standards which will meet um, American Kennel Club um, requirements. <clears throat> and I think I'm probably leaving something out, another $100,000 in value, which they've committed to um, as a result of the, the deal. So all of that's coming by way of that agreement. Um, and I think, I think I've covered everything in that regard. Let's quickly look. Uh, oh, I forgot one very important part. They're conveying a uh, one unit to the town. Back in 2015, we negotiated a provision wherein they would provide one condominium to the town. And I, and I won't go into details as to why that was, but it's in there, but it was gonna be an affordable unit. Now they've agreed to provide, instead of a one bedroom affordable, they're going to provide a two bedroom market rate unit. What does that mean? It means that instead of getting one unit, which could be valued at 220,000 or 25,000, whatever the current moderate income sale rate is for a one bedroom unit there. And that's about it. The town would get the equivalent of a 600 to $650,000 unit, which the town can then sell and apply those proceeds to um, affordable housing trust uh, or other purposes to maintain the 10% um, uh, um, subsidized housing index. Cause some units, not at, can, not at the Revere site, but some units elsewhere in the, in the town are expiring. There are, moderate income requirement is expiring. So this allows us to catapult, instead of having one unit, it might benefit five or six units, continue them on the rolls as, as moderate income. So that's a big uh, deal, which I don't think gets enough attention. So that's that. Um, any questions on all that? Just one question or statement. <clears throat> First of all, Betsy, thank you very much, you and your husband for you know offering that grant. <clears throat> But we might have picked up another 50,000. Isn't that a matching grant? Is that a matching grant? So you'll match up to $50,000 what people put in? 
That was the intention in giving it, Bruce. Yeah, okay. So therefore there's another 50. You counted the sugar melly 50,000, but- Well, we're waiting for you, we're waiting, Bruce, for you to, you know, belly up and tell us about yeah. it. So then we'll You never it. know, you never know. I already had my belly up people <laughs> at the beginning that uh, to, to get the- well, you know, it's never started. too late to get to, to go at it again, Bruce. Oh, well, you never know. So I'm sorry, you had another point? Nope, good. Okay. Um, so I'd like to schedule our next meeting. At, we've been doing these now about eight weeks, and I think that makes sense. Monday, October 10th is Columbus Day, though. That's a holiday. I don't know whether that's a bad day for most people, a good day. I'm sort of indifferent to it, but I'm happy to not do it on that day if that's what I'm, I'm not here. the public meeting, Vic, I don't think we were able to do, do it. it on that. On okay. Yet. So the next day is Tuesday, October 11th. I'm not here that day either, but that's okay. I'll catch up. So let's schedule that. That's good. All right. Anything further? You can use that. Sorry, that's Tuesday, October 11th. 11, yep. 7 p.m. by Zoom. Yes. Great. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Take care. Good night. Bye. Good night.